My local coffee shop is my Penn State World Campus classroom, giving me the full Penn State experience online. It's home to thousands of students working together with faculty to advance our careers, change our careers, or finally earn our degree. My classroom is just like every Penn State classroom because it is getting me to where I want to be. Click on the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Jodorand. Joining me, as always, are Jake Latroba and Armand Fai. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod, we have no technical issues, so we react to Clemente Lisi's interview from last week. We give you a reaction like some of you requested. He's a writer for USSoccerPlayers.com and called in to explain the backside story to why the San Jose Earthquakes relocated to Houston and how that compares in contrast to the situation we are seeing in Columbus. Go listen to the interview before this episode. It makes a lot more sense. Writer and podcaster at SockTakes.com, Napoon Chopra, joins us to break down USL's rebrand and his interview request with Carlos Quadero. Lastly, we discuss reports of getting rid of the third designated player slot in MLS. Follow us on Twitter, UncSamSoccerPod. We always enjoy your feedback and comments, so continue to send them in. Don't forget, you can find the show on any major podcast platform. So go ahead and hit the subscription button, wherever that may be, and give us a five-star review. Now, let's get to today's show. How we doing, guys? Uh, pretty swell. Uh, uh, we're so, doing well. We're doing well yeah, so we're, far. We're, we're, doing, we're doing well, yeah. Not bad. Not bad. All right. How so, are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank yeah. you, Jake. Thank you. Thank you for asking that. I've made no one sure... ever asked you how you're doing. I know. It's it's I don't know what it is. It's must be pick on the foreign guy or something like that. You know. What the heck? <laughs> Which one? Aren't Would you both the foreign? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh before we even get started, I, I gotta call out Armand Kafai. Uh Armand, do you yes, feel so. silly for calling out uh Wayne Rooney's uh decision to come to MLS and DC United's decision to sign Wayne Rooney do you feel silly yeah it's a welcome surprise I mean what, what, what can I say yeah I definitely outplayed uh and he also rejuvenated that DC fan base and also DC United as a whole on the field as well and I'm sure I'm sure Jake would agree though that I wouldn't mind that money being spent on a person like a pity Martinez I've already submitted my apology letter so I have no comment at this time <laughs> Hey, they have they have to get I think nine points from remaining twelve to make the playoffs. That's so all I need so to so uh, so I'm gonna be that guy. Um, I, I gotta call it Jake and Steven now. 
guys, how do you feel about uh, your boy Brad Friel you know, shutting up all the haters? <laughs> mid-season award. Hey, we gave him a mid-season uh, reward I, I, for I'll, the previous season. I'll take the season. apology letter now. I'll t- There's I'll, no I'll, apology I'll t- letter. Uh, apologize. <laughs> hey, man, these all the full season awards. So at the time, at the midway point, he was they were, they were fine. They were doing better than anyone had expected. And by now, the way, uh, as the season's coming to an end, not not so good. So that's all I got. I'm with Jake and, and Armand. We didn't. We took Brad Friedel's record and put it into context. You said Wayne Rooney was gonna suck. You didn't know what he was gonna do. You can't. You can't. Uh, you can't get somebody in trouble for something Wayne they Rooney never did. Suck. Play the clip. Play the clip where I said that. Yeah, Armand. You said he sucked. What, what's going on, Armand? Shut up, Jake. <laughs> Play the clip. Roll the clip. I don't have the clip. I'm not gonna find the clip. Okay, there we go. There we go. He, Armand never said that he mouth. sucked. You, ne- you never said, but you questioned the signing. I was. SMH. He never said it. He never said it on the mic, but maybe he said it off the mic. Oh, I mean, well. Who can really be Ooh, sure? Mm. Well, let's go. Let's go under the hood. Get review. Sick VAR. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Let's go to the Uncle Sam VAR review. Secondly, the Premier League top five is. Uh, divided by two points. City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham. Guys, the fact that the Premier League is divided by two points here at the top five, is this a good or bad thing for MLS? Because let me tell you, this has, you know, my Euro snobness has come out really strong in recent weeks, and this European calendar season has been fantastic to watch to the point where, ooh, MLS, ah, it's like... I have to put time aside to watch it. This stuff comes a lot more natural to watch. Unless you're going to watch it. If you're going to like Premier League, you're going to watch it. But I don't see a correlation between the two. I'm going to have to go and say that this probably hurts MLS a little bit because if the Premier League is more interesting, I mean, I, <laughs> my, my attention, I'm, I'm going to be more excited to watch Premier League matches than MLS matches now. Well, you should be. I mean, I should on. be. I mean, Minnesota I mean, no, no one, no one's not, no one's saying like you should be more excited to watch MLS. I'm just saying if you're gonna, if you're gonna watch MLS, you're gonna watch MLS. If you're gonna watch Premier League, you're gonna watch Premier League. There's no, I mean, you're gonna do it regardless. There's no correlation between the two. Right. Although I, right. I, I will say, I, I will say, you do start realizing the drop off between the two leagues, and it, and it's obviously, it's obviously big. And that's one thing I've been noticing a lot of is the drop-off between uh, the the two leagues. Clearly, there's a quality gap, but that's expected. I think the biggest issue, at least watching on television, is just the ambiance that you get from NBC of a Premier League game. Even if it's Fulham versus, I don't know, Bournemouth, it's a lot different than FC Dallas versus DC United, right? Like, you just... You get a different vibe. It's also the that. atmosphere, man. It's also atmosphere. It's like it's like while you watch an uh, Atlantic. I mean that th- that combination of those two make for an entertaining television broadcast. I mean, I think I was watching uh, FC Dallas Columbus. I mean, a couple weeks ago, awful game, absolutely awful game. I mean, the Portland FC Dallas game last week it was awful as well on the field. The off field atmosphere of Portland made it really fun. But that FC Dallas Columbus game in Frisco was absolutely awful to watch. Their atmosphere was kind of lacking, and also just oh, uh, just the play itself. So I mean, I think the combination of the two definitely plays a big part in how uh, a match is more entertaining. Anyway, uh, let's let's talk about <laughs> Clementis Lisi's interview. We didn't give our reaction to it. Armand, could you repeat for the listeners what was the main point on why the earthquakes relocated to Houston? 
So I'm gonna give you a TLDR. Too long, didn't read. Um, basically, <laughs> uh, what's so funny about that? It's a terminology we use nowadays. Uh, us millennials. No. Um, basically, the San Jose earthquakes needed to move out necessity uh, in order to attract, I think, a new investor or a new investor who wanted to buy the earthquakes. Their situation wasn't that good at Spartan Stadium, and uh, Lisi uh, argued. Uh, in his interview, which I highly suggest you go listen to, uh, that pre-court's move is more of greed uh, and wanting to maximize profits compared to necessity. So, guys, how do we how do how do we react to this? I said, let's start with Jake because Jake, you've had strong comments <laughs> before, and uh, hell, and this week's hate mail will not be directed at Jake Watroba. It will be directed at Armand Kafai. But Jake, give us give us oh, your reactions. I I don't know. I guess you can splice it any way you want to. At the end of the day, it's just it it it's it not to me. It just sounds like San Jose wasn't making money at the time, and they had no. They didn't want to. Uh, I don't know. It, it, they're just Columbus Crew aren't making enough money, or aren't making the kind of money that Anthony Precourt thinks that they're capable of making. And it to me, it sounded like that the San Jose earthquake at the time we're not making uh, we're not making profits so the league up and moved them to Houston is that not is that not how is that not this basically the same thing I don't know, is I, don't know man. I mean I, I to be honest I mean I, I, I guess it's, it's not really the the same situation but it's, it's it's tough, I think overall to uh, to compare it to because what is he uh, in the grand he, in the scheme of things? What does he exactly say in the pod? Uh, I think it was like it, it's a lot, big difference between the two. It's like uh, in terms of uh, the years that it's like an eternity. I think so it was uh, between you know, oh six and oh seven or oh five oh six uh, MLS and uh, 2017, 2018 MLS and I. I think at this point for the league to grow, I think we're gonna. I think we talk about it actually a little bit later. There's gonna be, I think, some movement, and in terms of ownership and whatnot, uh, because the league needs to take that next step in growth. But I don't know if it should come at the expense of Columbus. Yeah, it it's just hard to understand the the comparison just because MLS is in such a different situation now than it was then. And it, it's not apples and oranges because I, I think at the end of the day, it's about the dollar sign. And that's why the clubs were relocated. It's all about the dollar sign, particularly in American sports. We are consumers. Yeah, as much as we are fans in Europe, fans are different, particularly in Germany where you have the, the 50 plus one rule. So... Here in America, we're consumers, and we ultimately pay to see the product on the field. The ownership gets com- complete control. I mean, Jake, you know personally up in Minnesota, they thought they were going to move the Vikings if they weren't going to get money for a stadium. What, what, what did that have to do with? Money. It all comes down to money. In American sports, players are not obligated to one specific club, to one specific franchise. All they care about the money. The ownerships, all they care about is the money. The league as a whole, all they care about is money. This all comes down to money. And if people think 
and this is my personal opinion, if you think Anthony Precourt is the only one discussing this, no, you're wrong. This is MLS as a whole. They see the dollar signs just as Anthony Precourt does, or they believe the dollar signs are in Austin. And if this is a benefit for Anthony Precourt, you betcha Garber and MLS will be, well, is this a benefit for the league as well? And if it's so, then they could probably get more on board with it. That's how expansion fees go. That's why they're so high. That's why they look at it and be like, what's the money? How are we going to make money off of this expansion slot? No, Stephen, you're, 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 I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head is that this all just comes down to comes down to the dollar signs. It's all about the Benjamins. This is, you know, MLS just trying to secure the bag. Secure the bag. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all about the money, guys. I mean, so Armand, you're you're in in agreement that it's about just the money. Yes, it is. I mean, of course, it, it's there's no necessity for the, the the crew to move. Anthony Precourt deems that he thinks that he'll make more profits elsewhere, and that's why he wants to move. There's nothing that can genuinely change his mind. Listeners, go back and listen to the interview. Highly recommend it. It puts you a lot of context. Very fascinating. Very interesting. We gave you our thoughts. Hate mail at Armonkify this week. Not at Jake Watrova. Trying to give him a little bit of a breather. Um, anyway, listeners, up next, Napoon Chopra on USL's rebrand and his inquiry with Carlos Quadero. Joining us right now is Napoon Chopra. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at NapoonChopra7. He's a writer, podcaster at SoccerTakes.com. And we have to include he's also a PhD or has a PhD. Uh, Napoon, how's it going? Thanks for joining us this afternoon. <laughs> I'm good. Absolute pleasure to join you, gentlemen. Uh, it's a good afternoon here in Indianapolis. I ran nine miles. So I, after we're done chatting, I'm going to take a long nap. <laughs> and would... nine, nine miles like that, that's that's impressive i mean i'm training for a half marathon that's the only reason <laughs> there you go yeah. i don't think me jake or uh, steven have run like nine miles combined in the last i, I can't <laughs> even run a block so uh, <laughs> armand I, I will disagree with you i have ran nine miles in the last week so oh okay nice. big shot yeah. Anyway, let, let's talk about USL's rebrand. It's about uh, today's October 7th or the recording of the show is October 7th. So about a week and a half ago, USL rebrands itself into, I guess, a new face for U.S. soccer from USLsoccer.com. It's one central brand, three leagues, USL championship, which is the pinnacle of the competition. USL League One, the foundation of professional soccer and USL League Two, a path to pro. Now, there are a lot of ways we can go with this, Napoon. But from the perspective of USL, why do you think they did this and why now? I think they did this because they truly are in a new era of their existence. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the history of lower division soccer, uh, there are a couple of uh, critical points. Uh, The first one was about 2009-2010 when the NASL broke off from the USL. And from 2010 to 2000, well, I should say 2011 to 2015, NASL truly was the number, uh, was was far ahead of USL in most metrics. Starting 2015, 2016, that started to change with the uh, incoming teams like Louisville City and FC Cincinnati 
the USL really started to take control of critical markets. By 2016, they were about at par, and starting, I'd say, 2017, 20, and definitely 2018, USL is currently the biggest game in town outside of MLS. And I think they recognized that, and they wanted to make sure that it, it was apparent to people that didn't know all the history of USL, of a lower division soccer. So from their perspective, rebranding as USL Championship and USL League 1 and League 2 gives them the kind of recognition that I think they feel that they deserve. Nipun, you meant, we mentioned it, League 1, League 2, Championship, but why the same league names uh, as we see uh, in uh, England and the United Kingdom? Uh, one of the things that we uh, talked about uh, off the mic was that I, I was kind of like, I'm not sure if... Uh, I would have really gone with USL Championship, League One, or League Two if I were to rebrand the league. Why do you think the league decided to go that route in terms of naming? Yeah, there's no there's no definitive answer to this. I think there are multiple contributory factors. I think the biggest one is Jake Edwards is obviously um, a um, uh, an outcome of the English, uh, not the Premier League, but the the FA system. So I think it's something that he recognizes. Uh, I think that's one reason, Jake Edwards being English. Uh, another reason is that the USL, ultimately any rebrand is really to to increase awareness. And I think what USL is, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm, I'm hypothesizing that USL wanted to rebrand to something that people would recognize, soccer people would recognize. And even though there is some, some fair pushback in terms of why you just plagiarizing an idea, I think overall, if you're an, if you're if you're most expats, well, I should say most people who love soccer in America aren't really buying into MLS USL, and perhaps by rebranding to something that that regular passionate soccer fans recognize, which is the Premier League uh, setup, um, perhaps you kind of raise awareness of the brand. That that's possibly why they did that. Nupun, many have suggested this rebrand opens the door for promotion relegation. Um, even USL had a FAQ about this where they say currently the United Soccer League is focused on establishing a successful new third division in USL League One to help fill out the professional US soccer structure, which is a necessary precursor to any implementation of promotion and relegation. That said, the new structure does lend itself well to some form of promotion and relegation in the future. Does this put pressure on MLS? No. Next question. <laughs> uh, no, it, yeah. it, it does not. Uh, because, look, uh, if, if you look at where MLS is right now, it, it is so far ahead of USL that it doesn't really bring I, I don't think I genuinely don't think USL is a significant enough entity to trouble MLS um, any team that does well in USL or any lower division MLS can come in and snatch them up immediately I don't think there is a way in hell that USL ever competes with MLS uh, at the same time just for, forget this narrative just look at the numbers you're talking about teams that are uh, evaluated about 150 to 170 million in MLS and USL. Currently, the franchise fee is seven million uh, starting this year, and then at USL D3, it is uh, 500,000. 
I think you're t basically we're talking about orders of magnitude difference. And I don't think whether ProRail comes in or whether this comes in or that comes in, USL becomes a uh, something that MLS worries about in terms of a competitor. And, and do you think that MLS would ever or USL would ever try to even compete with MLS or it isn't mainly their goal to, I think, continue this partnership that they have with uh, the top division? Yeah, I think it's the latter. Uh, mm -hmm. Every every conversation I've had with USL owners, USL GMs, people in the USL office, none of them have ever intimated to me that they plan on turning heel, to use a wrestling analogy, uh, on MLS. Um, I think that's something that a lot of us uh, fantasize about because we want to see another competitor for MLS. But I don't think it'll be USL. Uh, the ties are too strong. The partnership is too strong. Um, yeah, I don't see that happening. And, and going forward overall with this new rebrand, do you personally think this is a good idea and a good direction for U.S. soccer as a whole? I think I'll take those questions separately. I think it's a good idea uh, just because it raises brand awareness. People are talking about it for the good or the bad. Um, I think it, it's good for USL to establish itself, uh, which is what it's trying to do. So I think in general for USL, it's good. U.S. soccer, I don't know if it moves the needle one way or the other, to be honest. I think it it's a status quo situation for U.S. soccer as things stand. Now, if something like promotion relegation comes in, that that does, in fact, change the equation. But just the rebrand itself, I yeah, I don't think it moves the needle either way for U.S. soccer at large. Nipun, I want to I want to shift gears here towards uh, your, your Twitter thread from about a week and a half ago. Uh, where you were explaining you you made multiple attempts to ask uh, U.S. soccer uh, or to sit down and ask a few questions uh, with U.S. soccer president Carlos Cordero um, in regards to division sanctioning and lower division soccer. Uh, reading through the Twitter thread, it seemed like you, there, it was a little difficult to get in touch with him. Uh, what what were your impressions of U.S. soccer after that experience? Thank, first of all, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this because this is the first time I'm talking about it since that Twitter thread. Um, I think overall my my experience with um, with U.S. soccer has been a positive one. Uh, I'd say eight times out of ten when I've reached out to them for an answer, uh, they've given it to me. Um, you know, it might not be the answer that I was hoping for, but at least they've reached back to me, which, which is a higher, by the way, which is a higher percentage, 80% response rate is much higher than I get from USL, which is probably like 10% response rate from USL. So I appreciate US soccer's PR uh, responding to journalist questions. Um, but I was I was very disappointed with how this all of this played out because uh, this US soccer representative who have chosen not to identify um, kept basically suggesting to me that the interview would happen, it would happen, and eventually... Uh, when I spoke to him, he made it very clear that the, that he would get answers from Carlos and he would get them pretty quickly, and I would have I would have the opportunity to ask follow up questions because I had been so patient and because I was willing to write out the questions. And none of that happened, and I think it was it's pretty indicative that. So, so, so here's what I think: the easy explanation is that Carlos is truly busy uh, enough that he doesn't have time to answer these questions. I don't think that's true. Uh, the second explanation is that he um, doesn't know enough about this stuff. 
And that is what troubles me. That's truly what troubles me. That is the explanation that troubles me, knowing that the U.S. soccer president isn't able to articulate basic questions, basic questions. I did Look, I wasn't asking him what formation is FC Cincinnati playing. I don't expect him to know that. Of course, I don't expect him to know details about individual teams. But overarching questions about the status of lower division soccer, 100% should be questions that the US, the president of U.S. soccer should be able to answer. And for the PR person to tell me he didn't think Carlos was the best person to answer these questions, I think it's pretty indicative. And I just for our, our, our listeners... Um... I just want to give some of the questions that Nipun actually asked uh, Carlos. Uh, one of them was, what, in your opinion, are some bigger challenges for lower division soccer in the United States? And another one uh, was, the lower divisions of U.S. soccer, particularly USL, have seen unprecedented growth in the last few years. What role has USSF played in that uh, success? So, I mean, like like you said, it wasn't anything that was, you know, hard, bizarre, you know, crazy. I thought they were very... The fair answers, I think, very, very questions I think you'd expect the USSF president to answer. And actually, that led right into my question. I think you kind of answered it. Is it a bit alarming that they said, hey, he's not the right guy uh, to answer these questions? I think it is. I really do think it is. Uh, people who are defending Carlos in my, or defended Carlos in my mentions push back on me saying, well, it could simply be that there's lawsuits and there's this and there's that involved and that's the reason he's not the best person to ask to them and sure even if i'm stretching maybe one of those questions particularly the promotion relegation one is something that carlos cannot answer given that there's a cast filing currently uh in, in the mix sure i can buy that and to be honest that was a question i was uh, as i said in my twitter thread it was it was a question i wasn't really expecting an answer to it's just one of those i kind of have to ask this question things so sure, he could have said no comment on a couple of those questions, but to suggest that all 10 questions, or I forget if the 10 or 9 questions, um, were things that would, uh, the reason he couldn't answer them was because of litigation, I think is, is demonstrably false. And I think it is intellectually dishonest. So I don't buy the idea that the reason he couldn't answer them is because of all these lawsuits. I think the reason he couldn't answer them where either he truly couldn't or his PR folk or USS PR folk didn't think he could. So what, where do you see this going forward? Are you going to reach back out to USSF coming in the coming months? Or are you going to try again? What would, what's uh, your next step of action here? Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I haven't thought of a next step of action. I kind of assumed that once since I put this out there and if you guys see the dates, it's pretty clear that I spent a lot of time kind of, dealing with this. And I, I didn't include every single communication either. Uh, I spent a lot of time dealing with this and I kind of came to a point where I said, if I don't say something now, this is just going to continue. So my my best guess is that it's this interview is dead, that it's not going to happen, especially now that I've put them on blast. Will I reach out to them in the future? I'm sure that I will, uh, but I don't expect to get an interview with Carlos Cardero. We're closing in on the one-year anniversary of the U.S. Men's national uh, the U.S. Men's national team failure to qualify for the World Cup this past summer. Now there was a lot of outrage. We changed USSF president. There was the election. Uh, we're going through, I guess, the GM role. You know, they're looking at coaches right. right now. But do you think USSF has done enough to reflect the anger that U.S. soccer fans have had towards 
the entire structure of U.S. soccer? Definitely not. Well, I can say that pretty unequivocally. I think uh, I think there are very few people who are happy with the USSF right now. Um, you know, regardless of what level you're looking at, whether it's USL or MLS or USSF, I think people are pretty frustrated with how things have moved. I mean, people, even people who are regularly pretty wary of criticizing USSF have been very critical. People like Taylor Twelman, people like Grant Wall, people like Lexi Lalas, who tried to be uh, measured or, you know, whatever, however you want to describe it, have been very critical openly of USSF and rightfully so, because USSF, given, given how bad October 10, 2017 was, the glacial pace with which USSF has moved is alarming to any neutral observer. And I 100% don't think that they have uh, done stuff correctly and, and quickly enough. What, what do you make of the uh, coaching situation, Napoon? It seems like we're finally getting interviews, uh, I, I guess, like, yay? I feel like I I feel like especially for a potential MLS coach, which isn't a bad thing. I feel like waiting uh, a year, at least in my opinion, is a little too long. Yeah, yeah. I think I I think it it has been too long, especially. I guess there are two ways to look at it. You know, there, no games have been played that have any sort of real impact. But at the same time, as uh, I think that was uh, someone on Sirius XM was saying, these games should have been an opportunity to for a new coach to bed himself or herself into the team. But I think instead, the new coach, whoever it is, head coach, whoever it is, comes in and will have to build everything ahead of Gold Cup, ahead of all these upcoming tournaments, and of course, ahead of uh, World Cup qualifying. So in, in some ways, the really frustrating thing, guys, is that this whole year has been a waste. It has been a waste in terms of prep preparedness for the U.S. men's national team. Um, so yeah, I, I, am not super excited about how things have been handled. I'm curious to see who gets hired and it'll be fun, uh, next summer when there are three big, big tournaments happening at the same time. Uh, but it is still very frustrating. Nipun, one, one final question here sure. for you. Uh, you recently wrote an article on sock takes looking into the survival rate of NPSL clubs over the last 15 or so years. The uh, average lifespan of a club at NPSL, you wrote, is 3.3 years. Is there anything that U.S. soccer can do to curb those numbers and help make NPSL and even USL more sustainable? Yeah, so the average is 3.3, but the median level is two years. And I think, uh, not to get into deep into statistics, but I think in this particular case, the median is a better indicator of what a new club might expect. So in other words, if you sign up, if you guys uh, decide to sign up for uh, sign up an NPSL team in 2019, the statistics suggest that your club will be alive for two years. And I think that is very, very depressing. Uh, what can USSF do? I have many, many, many ideas of what USSF could do. But I think the central idea, which I think would most directly impact NPSL, USL, PDL, uh, NISA, NPSL Pro, etc., is for USSF to be more interventionalist. And what I mean by that is to prevent leagues from hemorrhaging, sorry, from parasitizing each other and stealing teams off of each other and enticing, and enticing owners and enticing front office staff 
to come over to one side or the other. I think USSF needs to have be able to intervene on these situations more. However, USSF continues is simply a sanctioning body and has no other roles in terms of leagues. Uh, and I think if USSF were to change that, it would not get rid of all the problems. There are a lot of problems, but it would get it would help about 20 to 40, 20 to 25 percent, which when you're talking about a survival rate of two years is a, is a significant uh, thing. Well, Nopun, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we, we do have a shameless plug, so go ahead, please plug your podcast where we can find your work on the Twitter machine once again and anything else you'd like to plug away. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the questions. Um, my work can be found at socktakes, uh, found at socktakes.com. You can find me on Twitter at NapoonChopra7 and uh, socktakes at socktakes on Twitter. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you so much. A uh, big shout out and thank you to Napoon for joining us. Jake and Armand, real interesting interview. A lot of stuff was said. Any reactions or thoughts to follow up on before we move along here? I mean, I agree with Napoon. It's pretty alarming that the newly elected president of the U.S. Soccer uh, Federation that, you know, uh, apparently is supposed to know more than uh, Sunugulati can't answer the questions about lower level soccer shows how much they care just saying yeah it's it's pretty alarming that they're, they're pretty just general questions that he was being asked like napoon said it wasn't like he was asking what indy 11 starting <laughs> you know starting 11 is on a given week or what uh what formation does fc cincinnati player at uh ussf deemed carlos cordero uh not the man to be asking these questions to is is that's very alarming. No, you're right. It's very alarming. Anyway, Armand, take it away. You wanted to talk about this more so than anybody else on the show. So I'm upset. Why's that? I'm upset because we, uh, according to Sam Stayskull, uh we actually have on the show a few times. Uh, the league is tossing around the idea of eliminating MLS. Eliminating the third DP player spot or putting a hard cap on it. And what they would like to do, and this is supposed to happen in 2020, was to increase TAM uh, instead and get DP spot. And I'm upset, guys. I think the league is holding itself back. Uh, the, the third DP role has played a massive part in, in team success, but we've seen a recent shift in parity, I'd say. I think teams in the league that don't want to spend as much are starting to see it. And we're starting to see more of that European-esque uh, uh, league where, you know, the teams that spend more are obviously going to uh, get more wins and the teams that don't aren't. I think uh, the older owners, like the MLS 1.0s, are realizing this and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to slow this down. We don't want to spend as much money. Why not get rid of that third that third deep that, that third DP spot and just spread it and we'll just make it seem like it's gonna be worth more 
in Tem. I, I, I can't agree with this at all. Uh, I'm sure it's Seattle Sounders. They're going to be a little pissed. I mean, what we heard the rumor of Atlanta United wanting to spend $25 million on some uh, on Pity Martinez uh, from uh, Boca or from River Plate. I'm sorry. Uh, not Boca. I, I'll get yelled at for that. I mean, guys, what, what do you what, what do y'all think? Armand, I'm I'm gonna play devil's advocate with you. Oh here. no, don't do this. Why? Okay, I'm just kidding. Do it. I'm gonna do it. Okay. Uh, when we we're gonna we're gonna go to uh, Concacaf Champions League. All right. So when 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 MLS teams play Liga MX teams, what what are some of the things people people say about the differences between the two uh, the the two I know where you're going with this. I know that where you're the going middle the middle tier the quality isn't there for MLS like it is for Liga MX. So if you were to theoretically increase the amount of TAM that teams can spend, which is you know basically TAM is used to kind of acquire those middle tier those depth players if you will for MLS sides, doesn't that kind of raise the water level of the league a little bit? So let me hit you with this uh, counterattack. Uh, get it? Counter-attack. On the counterattack. Why don't they just keep the third DP spot and just increase Tam? You were also right. I was think- <laughs> I was thinking the same thing too. I, I don't understand why. Because like, it, think about it. Like, you don't need. If you're a club, you don't need to have a DP if you don't want to have a DP. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's, I'm, I'm telling you, sorry, Jake, I'm telling you, it's the MLS 1.0s, you know, the ones that just don't want to spend money, I feel like, that are, I, I'm assuming, pushing the move. I don't think it's Arthur Blank. I think Arthur Blank's like, hell no. I want to produce like, the best product possible, and I'm going to spend as very much money as I can. I think Seattle would be against it, too. I'd probably argue that Portland would be against it, too. I feel like it's the owners on the lower level of the spectrum that are saying, let's get rid of this third DP spot. But they're using the excuse of we want to strengthen the middle of the core. I think they're scared that the parity is going to start going. It's the right word. You're going to have the the the, the, the haves and the have nots. Yeah, or the yeah. wills and will nots in this case because they're not. You have owners that aren't willing to <laughs> to spend money. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can see it on both sides. I, I mean, even if there's a third DP, teams there, there's going to be teams who don't want who, who aren't going to spend the money. And I mean, theoretically, you could argue that. If you get rid of the second DP, well, now teams have this extra influx of TAM. So now all of a sudden we're going to spend all this extra TAM money to buy down some of these DPs and all this stuff. And I mean, I wait, 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 wait. Wouldn't it be smart if you're a 1.0 who does an owner who doesn't want to spend money? There's no relegation, so who cares? Don't spend the money on your squad. And secondly, isn't it better for your league product to have three DPs so you can have three stars, more marketing ability? I mean, you, you, you'd think that. <laughs> I would also argue if you're an MLS 1.0 owner and if you've been in there since, like, the, like the crafts and, if the, like, the hunts, why aren't you just selling then? If you don't want to spend the money, then get out. Like, because your investment has tr- has gone up 30 times its worth pro- than when you when you bought into it. So why why not get out of it? I can see what Arthur Blank's doing. Arthur Blank sees that I bought in for $150 million, but if I take this, if I make Atlanta United really bleeping good in MLS, I can also raise my investment, too. The, the thing is, I think with that is, I, I've said this multiple times on and off the mic, I don't think a lot of the owners that are in MLS right now would buy into the league at an expansion rate of, like, let's say $75 million. I don't think they would. Wait, 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 wait. The expansion I, I rate is $150 million. Exactly. And I'm lowering it down. So I'm you're saying, saying, buy in for you're, saying you're saying that owners wouldn't buy into 
2018 MLS right now for 75 mil. Yeah. That, what makes you What makes you think that? What makes you think that? Because I don't I don't see that. I I I don't see your logic behind that either. I mean, what's I mean, what's 75 million to some of these NFL owners? I I, I don't think they'd even look, look towards MLS's way. Uh, especially remember the initial investment for these guys, MLS. It was just like kind of just like a little, a little, a little investment in for uh, a potential league to grow. I think 70, 75 million, like you said, it's not a lot for these guys. But I think now that they're in it, like look, look. I, I know Steven's gonna defend the crafts until you know the the cows come home. But <laughs> but uh, their product, their product on the field is eh, at best. I know y'all gave uh, Friedel that midseason award for the. Yeah, shut up, haters. But uh, yeah, that's they're looking gone. pretty they were, terrible. They were gone. good. They were. They're they looking were pretty good terrible right in now. Like May or June, whenever we did that, they were they, looking they, fine then. They're looking pretty terrible now. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and look at the look at the hunts. They're slowly increasing their investment, but I mean, not really. If you look at it in the grand scheme of things, a lot of teams just don't really keep up with uh, how the spending is. I think if they look looked at it. I, I don't think I don't think they 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 would buy in at this point. I know it sounds a little a little crazy, uh, because I mean MLS is growing and growing, and I mean well, who wants to make a seventy five million dollar investment, uh, and make it into even more? But I I just I just don't see it, guys. There's some owners that I think are just are just okay. We got it in for like two three million, and now we're just gonna ride the ship until it just keeps going and going. This week's edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast hate mail at Armand Fai. Uh, and- I don't care. Hate on me. Hate on me. Thank I, God. I it finally. I don't, finally. I, 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 don't, I don't care. Some of the investment these teams make uh, is ridiculous. They might say counterpoint. What about Orlando City and, uh, let's say, Minnesota United? Minnesota United, I think, is a consensus. It's a soft launch. We like, oh, They're waiting for a stadium to open. Come on. Come on. We all know this. Like My boy Jake is upset. That's why they're giving Heath and Lagos some extra, you know, a leash because they're, they're waiting for how it's going to look in 2019 with uh, that. Uh, by the way, I don't ask coming after this, Jake. Uh about well, they're waiting for Allianz Field to open up. If you look at uh, investment, they're just they, the players they fit have been absolutely awful. Colorado, Wait, what are they doing? But the thing is, I, Armand, for, for the sake of the podcast and for clarity for our listeners, you're just speculating. It's not like somebody's tipped you and said owners wouldn't buy it. Be it. Oh yeah, I'm it, speculating. I'm so, speculating. This is pure speculation, but it, I think it's an interesting point to talk about. Because a lot of people look at MLS, a lot of players in Europe look at MLS as this glamour type of thing. I'm surprised, you know, these owners don't take it a little bit more serious, more seriously. Because you invest the money, people will turn out for the names. I mean, thirty-two thousand showed up for Ibrahimovic in New England. I don't think Ibrahimovic even played because it was a turf, and this was in the middle of summer. And look at Atlanta and what they've done. And I keep, people keep saying, but Atlanta has an NFL backing, blah, or like, you know, Arthur Blank's wealth, blah, 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 blah. Well, MLS should be attracting more of those owners because what Arthur Blank's done has been phenomenal. The fact that they're million dollars, this is like not this is like not normal for MLS from the history we've seen. This isn't a normal trend of spending at all, yet Arthur Blank makes it is the new normal. It's normal for them to spend that much money. It's normal for them to invest that much. It's normal for Atlanta to average forty thousand guys week in week out. They average forty thousand. I don't think we emphasize that enough. That is more than every other league, every other team 
in the league outside of Seattle sometimes. Highlighting a good problem here with MLS, instead of instead of looking at what Arthur Blank is doing in Atlanta and saying, look at this guy is getting 40, 45, sometimes 70,000 people into a stadium to watch an MLS match, instead of catering to that, instead of seeing what, saying what can we do to have our other teams in our league experience that kind of success, MLS is going to cater to the Stan Kroenke's of the world, the 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 the, the Bob Crafts of the world, the Lamar Hunts or whatever the Hunt is owning. Dan. The Dan Hunt. Thank you. We're gonna we're gonna cater to those owners who don't want to spend money, like the Colorado Rapids, you know, not not have asses and seats and not spending any money and just being just crappy soccer so, teams. So so I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise a question for you guys because I've been thinking about it a little bit and I was actually kind of uh, tipped off, not tipped off, but I was gonna I read a Twitter comment. And I was like, this is actually really interesting. If, because remember, I know you guys have heard how vocal I was against Detroit with that Ford Field setup. But if they had that NFL esque backing, but you had to see them play in Ford Field, would would you guys be okay with let's say let's say if Detroit was spending like an Arthur Blank, would you guys be okay with Detroit the entering Fords, the league? The Fords aren't good owners, though. I mean, look at the Detroit Lions; they've been god off. I'm, 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 I'm saying as a hypothetical. I mean, yeah, if that's if that's what it's gonna be, is that we're gonna they're gonna put thirty to forty thousand people on a given game day into Ford Field for a MLS match. That's fine, but I look at what the Fords have done in the NFL with the Detroit Lions, and I think it's night and day to what Arthur Blank has done with the Falcons. I think the the biggest issue with the clubs that have it's easy to point out to the owners that have soccer specific stadiums as being cheap. I think it's a lot harder when they don't have soccer-specific stadiums. And that, I wonder, especially with the crafts, I know Armand's going to you know, call me a fanboy here, until the revolution get a stadium, what is what is the purpose of the crafts actually spending money into the squad? When it is, they, they're waiting for the rights of a stadium or the land property is somewhere closer downtown in Boston to build it up. I mean, people have commented. Well, that's the problem. Well, that, that's, that, I, but the that's pro- the problem, right? But they have. They 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 have. I've sent you articles. They have. Now, I don't know what they are no, doing No, I mean, I mean I, I, no, no, not not regarding the stadium, but that's a problem. If he's like, what's the point of the craft spending money? Isn't that a problem? If, no, if you're we're right. If ask that question. No, it, you're, it is a problem. But think about it if you're in craft shoes. Are people going to show up? What, what's, the, what's the difference? There's no consequence. MLS needs to push these owners into mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. soccer-specific stadiums, into putting down grass, you know? The, Minnesota, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Minnesota United will be the litmus test to see what the difference is once of ha- you know that difference in will ownership spend more money if they have a soccer-specific stadium and a place to call home? I mean, D.C. United kind of did. Did they not? I mean, they got a brand new stadium. What they do? Splurge. So will it repeat itself? Who knows? Anyway, listeners, follow us on Twitter, Sam Soccer Pod. Hate mail directed at Amakafai this week. Send at- it to me. I don't care. Send it to me. If you if y'all really don't believe that some owners right now, like if, that they would buy in at some rate at the current rate or even lower, at me. I don't care. There you go. At Jake Watrova. And his Minnesota Vikings at Steven Jodrant. Like I said, subscribe to the show. Leave us a five star review. And uh, only on Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast can we talk about lower division soccer and the mess that USSF is. And also talk about MLS. It's what we do here. Till next week. Mm-hmm.
credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit penfed.org slash goldcard. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.